Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Levesay is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. Okay, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Kate Smith. And Kate... Would you introduce yourself for everybody listening? Absolutely. Um, my name is Kate, and I'm a clinical herbalist and a holistic health coach. So what does all of that mean? Before, before we get into that, though, is there anything else you want to, like, say about yourself, you know, like pretty cool surfer chick or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about I'm pretty cool, but the surfer chick is valid. Um, yeah, I, I love to surf. I teach, <laughs> I teach wild medicinal and edible plant classes for fieldcraft survival. I do holistic health class classes for um, quite a few military organizations, especially involved in nature therapy. Um, yeah, I have a wide range of interests, but it's all really centered around holistic health, uh, healing the body from the inside out, and using nature and the um, the free medicine that we have all around us in order to help facilitate that. It's crazy. It's super, super crazy how much wild medicine and food is all around us. And the more I'm progressing on my journey, the more I'm realizing it is everywhere. And I never thought I'd be one of the guys who's like, heck no, I'm not spraying my lawn. That's the dumbest thing ever. Why would I do that? But I am now that guy. And it makes me look at other people's lawns in disgust when they have the monoculture lawn that's just perfectly green and manicured and there's nothing wild in it whatsoever. <laughs> right, right. Like you're trying so hard to have this, you know, cushy grass when, wow, all that space could be used for you know, wild medicinal plants, wild edible plants, or even, you know, cultivated ones if you choose to. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've got yarrow growing literally right off the other side of my sidewalk from my front steps of my house. And the only thing is, is it doesn't ever flower because it gets mowed with the grass all the time. 
Right, right. But you get that incredible potent smell, which I think just cut yarrow smells medicinal in and of itself. And I don't know if you're familiar with this, but maybe this will be a fun tidbit because sometimes I think that the plants that volunteer themselves in our yards are kind of meant for us or or at least, you know, we're, we can make use of them at that time. But Yara's Latin name is Achillea millifolia. So Achillea coming from the Greek god Achilles. Achilles. <laughs> so it, yeah, so it said, you know, Achilles heel, that's like indicative of your, your one weak spot, like the one the one spot in which you are vulnerable and the myth goes that Achilles mother bathed him and rubbed him all over with yarrow because yarrow is such a potent anticoagulant um, it's amazing for blood issues both internal and external so it's this protective herb and it said that his mother put yarrow all over him except for that one place on his heel and yeah. that's that, that's how he uh, expired <laughs> yes yes and i was familiar with that i just read that i don't remember what book i was looking at but i read that in the book the other day and i was like man that's awesome you know that it's right here it's available and um kind of what what kind of things can you use yarrow for because i know like it, other than like poultices and stuff like that on the outside of your body if you use it for teas isn't it almost like a anti uh like not an antibiotic, but something similar to that, like its properties as far as infections and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Yarrow definitely has antibacterial and antiviral properties in it. Um, when used internally, it's amazing to help with circulation. So it's very warming internally. It's something that I've used quite frequently in my practice for women with menstrual issues. So it can help with any sort of stagnation at that time of the month and can help tremendously with pain as well. Um, it's just incredible anti-inflammatory, you know, internally and externally. No, oh, that's awesome. Um, I think maybe before we go into specific things, though, I got to ask you, like, what kind of things can you make and make medicines? Like, I know, like I said, like there's poultices, there is sal salves, or selves, depending on where you live, I guess. Um, <laughs> and um, like teas and tinctures, but like, how, how do you go about that? What's the process? You know, all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in my practice, and kind of a little note on the way that I work with people. So I work with people with chronic health conditions, and I specialize in autoimmune conditions. So i work with people who have oftentimes seen five, six, seven doctors, functional medicine practitioners, and really help them with the symptoms they're experiencing and also help them get down to the root cause of what's going on underneath. So in my practice, I use mostly teas and tinctures. So everybody's familiar with the tea, right? Like this is, this is the same type of tea as you're thinking of, except you tend to use wild plants and even medicinal plants as loosely used because you need a pretty high dose, pretty high concentration in order to have a medicinal effect. So you do loosely teas. Um, if you were to wild harvest herbs and then make a medicinal tea, you could use those herbs fresh, you could use them dried. And really all that entails is putting your herbs in a mason jar, 
Um, if it's fresh, the fresh plants don't have a lot of water in it, so you're filling that jar about a third to half the way full and pouring boiling water on top, tapping the lid because you want to trap all those aromatics and all of those essential oils, those can be part of the medicine with many, many plants. And then you're letting that infuse for 30 minutes all the way up to eight hours. Um, I like to do mine overnight personally. And you strain it out and you have your medicinal tea. Um, it works the same with dried plant. You just need a little bit less as far as like eyeballing it if you're doing that bulk method. So that's a tea, medicinal tea. Um, medicinal tincture is an alcohol extraction of herbs. So this is appropriate when you're trying to extract like terpenes. Um, this is really appropriate for herbs that taste awful and that you, you know, may need, but you really wouldn't enjoy in those higher doses of the tea. Um, this can be appropriate for preserving the medicine of fresh plants. So there are some plants that when used fresh are incredibly potent and when used dried are pretty weak. So some examples would be fresh lemon balm, fresh passion flower, um, skullcap, blue vervain. Uh, there's lots of herbs that you only want to use in a fresh plant. So you're going to get so much more of a benefit. So what you do with that is you are putting your herbs, a lot of times mason jar, go to, and you're putting them in your mason jar. Of course, you're weighing them out. There's specific formulas depending on which herb you're using. And then you're covering it with a combination of water and alcohol. Percentage is going to be different for every herb. Um, and then you're letting that macerate or just letting it sit for about a month. You can put it back in a cool, dark place and kind of forget about it if you're doing this at home. And at the end of that month, you strain that out and you have a very potent medicinal tincture. So do you ever just soak it in the alcohol first and then dilute it? Or is it always kind of a mixture of both? As far as for tincture? Yes. Yes, for a tincture. Yeah. So you could dilute it. You're saying could you dose it diluted like in water or juice or something like that? No, I mean like when when you're making the tincture and letting it sit for however long, could you just or do you just let it sit in the alcohol first and then add water to cut it, to cut the percentage of alcohol or something? Oh, I see what you're saying. So there's specific formulas for water to alcohol ratio, but basically you're mixing your water and alcohol beforehand and then pouring that combo over your herbs. So the reason there's different water and alcohol percentages is because Okay, so say you're using a fresh herb, that fresh herb has a lot more water in it, and therefore you need a higher alcohol content in order to keep that herb from molding and going bad. Um, if you have a really woody plant or a root that's going to be really hard to break down, you tend to need a higher percentage of alcohol. Whereas if you have, you know, a dried flower that's very, you know, fragrant and delicate, you know, sometimes you are going to be using like 60% alcohol and 40% water. It just depends on the herb itself. Okay. Is there ever um, like a standard for that then? I mean, like, is there pretty much, you don't ever want to go below say 30 or 40% or is that all dependent? Yeah. So commercially, you will not find commercial products that are made with less than 40% alcohol. Um, so that, I would say that's the standard. Um, if you want to get into the nitty gritty of all of this, there's a great book called The Modern Herbal Dispensatory by Thomas Easley, which was my 
primary teacher, he was my primary teacher when I was learning herbal medicine, as fantastic, it will go through over 100 herbs in the vast majority of the ones that I use in my practice and tell you exactly your percentages. But yes, don't go below 40%. And if you just want to be safe, like if you're doing this at home and you're doing folk method and you don't need any specifics, I would get the highest fruit that you can at the ABC store, which is probably going to be 70, 72% and use that for everything and you'll be good. The ABC store. <laughs> yeah. Do you have ABC store where you live? No, we don't. I do know what you're talking about oh. though. So, <laughs> what? what do you have? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I live in a small town kind of, kind of out there. So we just have the local hometown liquor store. So, so it's... Oh, <laughs> I love that. Well, I used to live in Alaska and all of the liquor stores were called the Brown Jug. Yeah. And there was, and there was one on every corner. And so here we have the ABC store. Um, I guess it is kind of funny when you think about it. <laughs> the primary letters or something. I wonder how it got its name. Anyway, alcohol, Kansas. booze, and cigarettes. I don't know, <laughs> or alcohol, <laughs> beer, and cigarettes. I don't know what it is, but it might you, be. You may be right. <laughs> That's a really good guess. <laughs> but okay, so um, th- can you say the book one more time, though, just so we can be sure that everybody can hear it? For sure, it's called "The Modern Herbal Dispensatory" by Thomas Beasley and Stephen Horn. Okay. Perfect. I just want to make sure everybody, if they heard it the first time, they can hear it the second time, maybe write it down. And I'll try and maybe include yeah. that in the show notes because that sounds pretty uh, pretty important and vital for the information. But um, so what you said a lot of times, and one of the things I think of when I think of things is just regular food. Food can be medicine itself. And obviously poison if you're ingesting too much of a certain thing as well. Is there any kind of like say you're eating a certain thing, is there a threshold or something you want to avoid if you're kind of using some? Because I know some herbs can actually be very powerful and too much could be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a great point. So you're right. Food is medicine and can be used as medicine. And when we think about a lot of our herbs that are quote-unquote gentle, or very, very safe herbs, ones that you can use in elder years, ones that you can use for little kids, ones pregnant women can use. Those tend to be historically known as food herbs. So they're your kitchen spices, like rosemary, sage, your mint, you know, really all of your different mints. Um, and, you know, you're, you're right. There are some strong medicinal actions to all of those herbs that you have in your cabinet. You know, they're somewhat adulterated by the fact that there's fillers in them and they've been dried out who knows how long and who knows where they were grown, but you're still getting that medicine. Um, There are quite a few herbs out in the wild that, you know, are, and I tell people this in my classes too, you know, just because an herb is medicinal doesn't mean that it's edible. Uh, Just because an herb is medicinal in one part like the flower or the leaf is medicinal doesn't mean the whole thing is so it's good to be mindful of that for sure yeah that's great that's great information one of the things that kind of piqued my interest and i actually heard it on the fieldcraft podcast was 
your story and how um, you kind of came to the herbalism field or realm and and kind of I don't know yes I think you did a little bit of foraging beforehand but it really kind of kind of took took flight after you ended up uh, going down that path can you kind of talk about that because I find it pretty fascinating and it seems like a lot of people um, that go towards herbalism or some type of aspect of nature it's always a healing aspect and it's kind of cool to see that work in, in its own ways, whether it's, you know, herbalism or somebody just spending time out for depression or something like that in nature and getting therapy and, and getting what they need from, from the earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know this stuff all sounds so hippie, right? Like you even said to me, I never thought I'd be that guy who said there's no way I'm spraying my lawn. Well, <laughs> I never thought I would be that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought that this would be my path, really. I, I did not grow up in a country family whatsoever. And I know some of this stuff sounds a little bit woo-woo or fringe. It's really not. The more science has has researched this, the more case studies that we see, um, I mean, we're getting, you know, controlled trials, clinical trials, looking at the healing power of just being in nature, like you were talking about, just force bathing itself. And then when we're ingesting these medicinal plants, we're ingesting so much more than the chemical compounds that are isolated in a lab. We're ingesting their life in a way, you know, their, their resilience, you know, all the stressors that they've undergone and the increase in their antioxidant profile because of the stressors that they've gone through, you know, they're stimulating our gut microbiome. I mean, we, there are so many benefits to using and wild medicine and consuming wild plants, but yes, my my story, I'm <laughs> it's it's a good one. Um, so my the way that I got started in this, and now what I do full time as a health coach and a voice and teacher, is I got a a kidney infection, a really intense septic kidney infection when I was in college. So it was a you know a uncomplicated urinary tract infection that I did not fully address. And it manifested into a kidney infection. And before you knew it, you know, I had this weird pain in my back, wasn't sure what was going on. And then one morning I tried to get out of bed and I passed out and, you know, was in the hospital for the next week with this septic infection and on IV fluids and on morphine and lots of antibiotics. And it was intense. It was a really scary experience um, and near death experience for me. And after that, my kidneys were so weakened and my that whole part of my body my whole urinary system was so weakened that I would get these repeat UTIs or kidney infections sometimes every other month so I'm on ciprofloxacin which is a broad spectrum antibiotic that has lots of horrible side effects I'm on this every other month and you know I go through this during college I moved to Alaska after I graduate. I'm working for the Forest Service. I'm doing trail work. I'm doing wildland firefighting. And there was nothing more intimidating and scary in my life than what was going on inside my own body. And the fact that with, it seemed like no triggers, um, no rhyme or reason. Sometimes I would just get these infections and I would end up in you know, the emergency room or in urgent care. 
And it got to the point where my doctor finally, sorry, got to the point where my doctor finally put me, gave me like an open prescription for ciprofloxacin. And so I didn't even have to go in to see her. I could just pick it up from the pharmacy every couple months, which is insane to think about now. And when I asked my doctor, why am I getting these infections? Like, is there anything at all that I can do to prevent this? Is there anything proactive that I can do? She said, this is just the way that your body is. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, there's no proactive measures you can take. Diet has nothing to do with it. Um, hydration has nothing to do with it. You know, this just this is the way it is. So I kind of got to the end of my rope with the medical system and what they could provide for me. And I was on the phone with my grandma. And I was telling her about what was going on. And she was like, well, honey, have you ever tried herbal medicine? Have you ever considered herbs? And I hadn't, uh, but I went to a used bookstore in town. And I picked up a, a book on wild medicinal plants in Alaska. It's called The Boreal Herbal by Beverly Gray. And I picked up another book on herbal medicine by Rosemary Gladstar, um, old herbal healing for women book, like written in the 90s. And I used those two books alone because those are the ones I had access to. And I went out and foraged for the herbs that these books said would be helpful for the part of my body that was so weak. And I went from having kidney infections every other month to not having a kidney infection for four years. Like I healed my body with nothing but herbs and so this was profound for me it gave me such a feeling of empowerment and autonomy that I had never found in the medical system and that honestly I you know had struggled with internally you know for quite a while as well and it was a very it was a profound experience in my life it changed my life um and yeah, I, I moved from Alaska back to my home state of North Carolina and went to school for this and then started my own practice about a year and a half ago and haven't looked back. And it's been the most rewarding work that I've ever done to help other people with chronic health issues realize their own empowerment and autonomy and that they can heal their bodies too. That's awesome. That's, that's the yeah. kind of thing that inspires me to keep moving forward down you know, this whole path and learning about plants and, and medicine and all those things. And, um, I'm just kind of curious. So did you do much foraging before then? You know what? I didn't. Um, that's a wild thing. I, I really started this with the healing of my body and the healing of my kidneys, especially. So I had done, let's see, I had worked on a couple of farms when I lived in Boone, North Carolina, and I was going to school. So I worked on like an organic mushroom farm. Um, and then I lived on a permaculture farm. But I didn't do a lot of foraging. I think I'm trying to think if I did any at all. So what's um, funny is like, <laughs> you've done some hippie stuff, like <laughs> not even knowing it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For, oh, no, for sure. For sure. I, I, um, when I say I didn't grow up in a country family, that doesn't mean that I did not definitely appreciate like being close to nature, especially if anybody knows Boone, North Carolina. They know that, 
you go there, it's very hard to not get drawn into that. Like there's something really special about the Appalachian Mountains and um, how close you can be to to wild medicinal and edible plants, even if you don't know it. So I'm trying to think, I think someone, no, I know someone introduced me to plantain, to the wild medicinal and edible plant is one of the basic ones, first ones that I teach kids and people who are beginners in my classes. Um, someone did introduce me to that when I was in college. So I know that one for sure. So plantain, um, what's funny is I knew that plant as a child, like certain things as a child, you know, right? Like wood sorrel, mm -hmm. everybody knows that, but they just don't even know it. Little kid picks a flower, eats it, tastes lemony, you know, on the playground, right? Well, we used to pick the stems with the bud on it and turn them into little shooters on like the narrow leaf plantain. And we'd have like little wars on the playground yeah. with those. And then you could even take like broadleaf plantain had the stem with all the seeds on it. Right. And we would take those and I figured out you could like reverse it and we'd pretend it like it was my little mini machine gun. And this is, you know, way back from the playground. But when I came across those plants, I was like, I know these plants. We used to play with them all the time. I didn't know you could eat them, right? Or even make like an egg substitute out of the, you know, out of the seeds if you wanted to or all kinds of crazy stuff. But <laughs> it's kind of funny that you learn that and it's like you are familiar with so many things out there, you don't realize it. So I'm just kind of curious, yeah. when you started foraging though, were you familiar with some of these things that you were using or was it something completely foreign? This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Oh man, I gotta say it was completely foreign because, okay, I learned plantain. Um, in between college and Alaska, I did spend some time backpacking in Ireland and out in Europe some time. I, I spent nine months out there. Um, and I did learn some other European plants. As I'm remembering now, I learned elderflower when I was out there. So I knew elderflower and plantain for sure. But then I moved to Alaska, and that's a totally different ecosystem. So I 
I really wasn't familiar with many of the plants. Of course, like there's dandelion there, um, dandelions everywhere. Yeah. There was plantain there as well. But so many plants were ones I had never seen before and had no exposure to. But the really cool thing about that was an amazing thing about learning wild plants and foraging in Alaska is there's not a ton of diversity because the climate is so extreme that there's very few plants that will survive, you know, summer after summer. And there's not a lot of poisonous lookalikes or harmful lookalikes. Um, if there are any lookalikes, you know, once you start to get into your botany and whatnot, it's very easy to tell apart, like leaf range around the stem, um, you know, leaf margin differences, um, you know, all kinds of just, just your basic stuff. So that was an amazing place to learn because I just had a field day with my wild edible plants, wild medicinal plants, mushrooms, fruit. Um, it was, it was easy, you know, good place to start. Yeah, that's one of the things I learned. Like, if you find the right book, especially, it really, really helps. And, like, two of the ones I've found that are pretty amazing, and one of them is A Botanist's Vocabulary, and I couldn't tell you who that's by. But that is super helpful, and it was actually one of my guests ended up uh, – I was watching her TikToks or whatever, and she'd do a term from it like every day. And I thought, man, that's so cool. And I got the book and just starting to flip through it, you learn so much about the terminology and different things, but then you start noticing them. When you start looking at mushrooms and you look at an annulus or, or you know, a node on something or whatever it is, it's just like, wow, okay, yeah, oh, that's got that. And when those things start registering and you start seeing those, it's amazing how much starts gets started and putting together different things of the puzzle pieces of it. And like one of the things, you know, I learned from the book also, and I might not have been that book, but it was botany in a day is another book. And then, so you learn entire families through their properties and similarities with these other things. And so like mint family square stems, right? Like all these different things. And it just keeps coming together and pieces of it slowly. It just keeps getting better and better. And it's like, wow, it's everywhere. Everything is everywhere. <laughs> I'm getting excited about it. Just like hearing <laughs> you express it and hearing you get so excited about it too. But yeah, Botany in a Day, that's Thomas Apple. And I hear you completely. Like it's, it's learning a language, you know, and it takes immersion. Everyone says it takes immersion to really learn a language. And so, you know, what I tell my students and what I really try to send them away with and facilitate them to them during my classes too, is, hey, find your angle, like find your why at the very beginning, because this can be an intimidating world. And I remember, you know, being a kid and going out in the backyard. And I mean, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different species visible to your eye at any given moment. You know, it can be very overwhelming. So find your angle, say, okay, like for me, I only was interested in plants that would heal my kidneys, heal my bladder, heal my, heal my ureter. You know, maybe your angle is I need plants to help with my digestive issue. I need plants to help with my anxiety. I need help with, you know, my hormones. Or I'm really interested in survival and I want to find the plants that are highest in calories, highest in protein. Um, I want to learn how to process plants to make them highest in calories. I mean, that kind of thing. So start with that and find three to five plants that fit that category 
and learn them like the back of your hand. So, you know, find them in, I have a couple books that I recommend to people, you know, find them in a guidebook as far as wild ID guidebook. Um, do some internet reading about other uses of them, like check out their uses historically as herbs um, or as herbal medicine, and that will get you going. You can branch out on that. Absolutely. So one of the things, like you mentioned, is that you teach classes for field craft survival. So chances are that most of the things, or a lot of people at least, come to those classes with a survival aspect in mind, right? So do you teach them something? Because obviously, I've been to field craft survival classes, and it's pretty much you don't even know. Sometimes you could be out in Utah and people are like me or from Illinois out there taking a class or wherever. So it's just, do you teach them a lot of things that have uh, quite a bit of biodiversity to where they're pretty common throughout? Um, or, or what's kind of the angle there? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I've found that maybe a quarter of the audience in these classes are solely interested in survival. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are so interested in the sovereignty and um, subsistence, really, or self-sufficiency of wild medicinal and edible plants. You know, they want to be able to make their own medicine for their families. They don't want to be reliant on, you know, supply chain for certain things. They want to be able to forage for foods in their backyard or increase the abundance from their gardens or whatever. So I found a lot of people interested in that, which is so exciting. But yes, when I teach these classes, I always teach people five or six herbs that you will find in North Carolina, you'll find in Florida, you'll find in Alaska, you'll find in Utah, you'll find everywhere, all across the country. Like they, they love a variety of different environments and do really well in a variety of environments. So with that being said, like two come to mind for me. One would be dandelions and then one would definitely probably be mullen. Is that kind of a correct mm-hmm. statement? Mm-hmm. Yep. Dandelion, mullen, plantain, chickweed. Yep. <laughs> Violet is another one that you're going to find pretty much everywhere. And then either pinbit or dead nettle and they can look very similar um but you you tend to find those everywhere as well i remember seeing those pop up in my garden in alaska i've seen them down in florida seen them in north carolina i mean i've seen a variety of ecosystems but yeah those are the big ones i think and maybe i'm wrong on this but i have seen more dead nettle the past couple years and before i even knew what it was all over the place and i think people are actually starting to use it as a cover crop to mm-hmm. stop you know soil erosion and and loss of nutrients from from their fields mm-hmm. while they're uh, I, maybe i'm wrong i don't know have you heard anything like that or seen anything like that no i haven't i have not seen that or i'm, I'm not aware of that but if they are that's fascinating <laughs> and exciting yeah, that's a, another mint family plant, so it will spread like crazy. And there you go with your botany in the day features. You know, you've got the square stem, opposite leaves, uh, aromatic leaves. You've got those very characteristic tubular flowers. Um, you know, it, it meets all the criteria. 
So what would something like dead nettle actually be used for? Or a purple nettle or whatever people want to call it. Yeah, purple, dead nettle, lamium. Um, oh, what's name? It'll come to me. So lamium purpurium, I believe. So purple dead nettle is a great anti-inflammatory. Um, it's full of antioxidants. It's got sort of that standard mint family action in that it's cooling. It's helpful for digestive issues, especially like gas and bloating. Um, it can be helpful for fevers as well. It can help to cool a fever. And then as a mint family plant, you're thinking about its aromatics and its effect on heart rate variability. So there's been a lot of research gone into heart rate variability, its benefit on the vagus nerve. Um, you know, the I think it's called Whoop. It's a, a watch that really uses your heart rate variability in order to tell you what your recovery is like and, you know, what your, your fitness capability is for that day. So mint family plants and aromatics in general are phenomenal at increasing heart rate variability, which is increasing your resilience to stress. So there's so many benefits to these plants that, you know, we've known for a long time based on documentation from their historic use and then so much more coming out that's being confirmed through science it's very exciting yeah that's awesome so i'm kind of curious what some of the things that you use to heal yourself on your journey were and how did you use those did you incorporate those into diet were you making teas what were you doing at the time mm, good question i didn't mention that did i so the herbs that I used primarily were wild cranberry. So in Alaska, there are wild highbush cranberry bogs um, in these really damp places. So I would harvest those wild cranberry fruits and freeze them so I had enough for the winter. And they're very, very tart. They're very strong. I would preserve them. I would either freeze them and eat them or I would preserve them in a little bit of alcohol and water and keep it in the fridge so it didn't go rancid. Um, and I would consume it that way. So wild cranberries, wild hybrid cranberries, and then believe it or not, dandelion root. So that one that everybody knows, the one that's in everybody's backyard, the root has a really strong effect on your organs of elimination. So your kidneys, your liver, and your skin. Um, it's got that bitter taste profile. It's got the pro and prebiotics that are amazing for your beneficial gut bacteria, which are so involved in healing from any chronic health issue, but especially what I had going on. And they have this historical traditional action of being very tonifying to the kidneys. So it's a reparative, restorative herb that's very gentle. I would go dig up dandelions and with dandelions you have to be kind of careful because dandelions will grow all over your backyard they really like to grow close to you know civilization and when they're close to roadsides or the side of your house or your backyard you're concerned about pesticides herbicides um runoff uh you know buildings chemicals that are leaching into the soil like waste from the road exhaust all that stuff so you do have to find dandelions that are in more remote places, which is not as easy as you would think. 
So I was, <laughs> I was finding, <laughs> I was finding dandelions, um, which when they're away from civilization too, they can get to be massive. And I was digging up the root, and then you take the root and you scrape off all of that kind of dirty outer part, and you can use a butter knife for that. And then I would roast the dandelion root in the oven. Um, roast is probably too extreme of a term. I would I would bake it pretty much just dehydrate it in a really low temp oven, and then chop up the root and use that in tea. So. I would, just like we talked about at the beginning, I would put the root in a jar, pour boiling water over it, make a really strong tea, like at least eight-hour infusion, or a decoction. So a decoction is appropriate for those hard, woody parts of plants. So with something like a root, what you can do to get an even more potent medicine is you can chop it up, you can put it in a pot of simmering water, and you can let it simmer for at least 30 minutes, or you can throw it in a crock pot with water and set it on low. And just let the water constantly pull out the medicinal action of that plant. And you can consume it that way. And those were my two go-tos. Um, I did use some spruce tips as well for their antimicrobial action. That was definitely part of it when I first got started. But you do have to be careful with some of your conifers and kidney concerns because the volatile oils and spruce cones, spruce tips, juniper, berries, a few different of our conifers, those can be hard on the kidneys because they're so strongly antimicrobial. Um, and if you have a history of kidney issues, you know, those are ones you want to use in moderation. Nice. That's, that's good stuff. So with that being said, it brings a question to mind about the teas. And it makes me think of the fact that a lot of times, what do people do with teas? They want to sweeten them because it, you know, helps them get it down. But does that take away because, as we know, sugar is an inflammatory and your body does have that response, especially with mass consumption of it. Because let's face it, if it's bitter and you're putting a ton of honey in it or sugar or whatever you're doing, is that taking away from it? Yeah, so sugar, yes, definitely. <laughs> honey, if it is raw local honey, that alone has a medicinal effect, especially on allergies. So raw local honey, I would say, is a go-to. That's probably going to be the best thing that you could use as a sweetener. But then, of course, there are some herbs that are known to be sweet or sweetening herbs. Of course, everybody knows stevia. Um there can be some issues with blood sugar just from the taste of something sweet. So, you know, just keep in mind your your personal medical issues. But something like licorice root in a very small amount can be enough to sweeten a tea. And licorice itself is anti-inflammatory. It's very coating and soothing to the stomach. Um, it helps to make the appropriate amount of mucus in the stomach so it can be very helpful for acid reflux and heartburn um it's you know medicinal in and of itself as well uh, it can help lower blood pressure sometimes you know that that's definitely something that's contraindicated if you are on blood pressure medication because it has that effect as well but can be appropriate depending on your goals nice so when you said licorice root it made me think of sweet sicily and does that is that like kind of interchangeable with licorice root or absolutely not? Um, 
it's gonna have a different medicinal action, but as far as being a sweet herb that you could use to improve the flavor, totally. Because I, I think of when I think of it, like as soon as you said it, it popped in my mind because of the aromatics and the fact that it smells mm-hmm. so sim- similar to licorice root. And then like wild mm-hmm. ginger is kind of another one that comes to mind that would make a tea that would be so good, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you were using those things. And like you said, with the, the juniper berries and things like that, that are kind of strong and stuff i mean is that something somebody could use for certain ailments or something like that within certain aspects or realms of is there like certain doses or something if you want to call it that of how much someone should consume yeah so with juniper berries the preparation is important so you need to dry your berries for a pretty significant length of time. There are some sources that recommend drying your berries before ever using them in tincture or tea form for at least a year. So we're talking long prep. Um, this would be one of the ones that I would actually purchase instead of, you know, use, well, purchase for your first year and you can collect <laughs> now for your second year if you, you know, to be safe about it. So that's going to help. Um, yes, there are definitely healthy doses depending on your goal so like juniper berry is amazing for uncomplicated urinary tract infections because it's strongly antimicrobial and it's a diuretic so it can help push you know flush water out through those eliminative organs Um, amazing for kidney stones as well Uh, digestive stimulant Um, you know juniper is actually juniper berry is actually used to make gin that's where the flavor of gin comes from so if you think about a sip of gin and that bitter like spicy flavor that as a medicine is going to have an amazing effect on gas and bloating as well um it can be helpful if someone has a weak appetite can be helpful to stimulate it so variety of actions but yeah dosing is important it depends on it depends on if you're a male or female. It depends on why you're using it. But typically, you're looking at a tea in pretty small doses. So, you know, one cup or less. Um, so that would be one. The modern herbal dispensary would be a great go-to if you're interested in, you know, dosing specifically for you. Okay. That's, that's good information. Because it makes me think, like... I kind of talked to you previously about something that I was doing and using and that I had, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a rhinovirus or something, but I had a secondary infection from it. And it was weird. It was like one side and just, I knew it was infected and I had just taken an antibiotic like two months before that. So I was like, I don't, I just don't want to put that in my body. And it seems like just throwing pills at things with modern medicine seems to be the key to eliminating things and thus creating more problems, right? So why not try the natural approach and try and do something? So I actually started, I was using yarrow and making teas out of the yarrow. I didn't do it the way you said it. So maybe that's better with the with the jar and stuff. But I did put it in, not at a boil, at a real low simmer and let it go for about an hour. And then I would drink that. But also a friend sent me an usnea tincture and i started taking that and i think it's been 
I don't know, about a week or two, and it's completely clear. My snot is actually clear now, so um, I think amazing. it's working. So, yeah, that is awesome. Oh man, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, so you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's the approach from now on. And one of the things is, is that something? Is there certain aspects of which leads me to the next question? Anyway, is is there certain things that people can incorporate into their diet, or just drinking teas on a regular basis to kind of stave things off, or does that have a counter effect? So, as far as using herbal medicine preventatively, yes. Different issues, yeah. No, absolutely. I think preventative medicine is your best medicine. So it depends on what you're susceptible to. So if you have allergies, I recommend that people start out with anti-allergenic herbs before allergy season. So the herbs that I love to use for allergies, environmental allergies, um, like here we have a ton of pollen, but yeah, ragweed's a big one for people. So a combination of fresh nettle, fresh goldenrod, and fresh ragweed together in a tincture form has, I've seen do wonders for people. And this is something that I've made up for quite a few of my clients. So yes, preventatively there. I've had clients who are very prone to getting upper respiratory infections every single winter. And I start them out in the fall with a, you know, strong infusion of different, you know, gentle herbs that they can take to prevent getting those URIs. And I've seen things like astragalus root alone be amazingly helpful at um, fortifying the immune system and the resilience to those pathogens. Um, So yes, respiratory infections, allergies. With me, you know, in my kidney and ureter issues, I started using these well before another kidney infection came on. And I think that's why I was able to fight it off and continue to heal my body at the same time and create, you know, improve my resiliency. I'm trying to think other, other preventative herb examples. Um, and then of course there's lots of lifestyle and nutrition changes that are very helpful. And I always tell people like you can't, you can't herbal medicine your way out of an issue that you caused through your poor diet or, you know, getting three hours of sleep every night or extremely high stress. Like lifestyle is going to catch up with you. Your diet is going to catch up with you. And that's fundamental when it comes to chronic health conditions, like herbs, herbs I use at the beginning to help with symptoms. So we decrease the pressure of symptoms on the body and help you feel better so you're not in so much pain and your body can actually do what it was designed to do which is to self-heal if you give it the right environmental input like your food like your lifestyle like your sleep like your habits you know these things can be healing if you if you do the right things yeah that's awesome one of the things i got to ask you though is with your clients do you tend to try and figure out their life and lifestyle first or um, do you just kind of like you said kind of alleviate symptoms with herbs and then try and dig into that yeah so we do it all at once (laughs) Um, so yeah I sit down with people for an hour and a half to figure out who they are and the root cause underneath what you know what symptoms are manifesting 
um, then yes, I will give them an herbal formula to start using right away that's custom made for them. And during that first week of working together, I will always give them at least one lifestyle or diet change to employ in that first week. So we're doing, we're doing both at the same time um, and really trying to like maximize their time and getting them, get them feeling better as quickly as possible. Yeah, both are important. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. So um, I think I probably kept you long enough tonight. Um, it's been awesome talking to you and I feel like I could talk to you forever, but before we go, could you kind of once again, tell people who you are and where they can find you if they want to reach out to you, maybe get your services or, um, just kind of learn from you maybe. Yeah. Or come to class. Yes, for sure. So again, my name is Kate, Kate Smith. My business name is Made Whole. And all of my handles online are made whole herbs. So that's M-A-D-E-W-H-O-L-E-H-E-R-B-S. And you can find me there on Instagram and Facebook. My website is madewholeherbs.com. Um, and I would, I would love to connect with anyone who's interested in this kind of stuff. And I'm, I teach classes, you know, very regularly as well. And then do you teach classes on your own and with Fieldcraft or is it, is it a combination thing kind of going on there? Yeah. So I contract out for quite a few different companies. Fieldcraft I love teaching for. Um, I've been teaching homeschool groups on wild medicinal and edible plants. I kind of, like I mentioned before, I'll do holistic health classes for a lot of military organizations. So I live right in the middle of a huge special forces military community out in Southern Pines, North Carolina. A lot of my clients are military with, you know, history, of course, of TBIs, especially, um, this is something I'm seeing a lot, so, and sleep and pain management. So my classes that I teach for those organizations are holistic alternatives for brain health, you know, traumatic brain injury recovery long-term, sleep and pain management. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, have a good night. You're so welcome, Luke. It was a wonderful time chatting with you as well. Thank you. Thank you. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment in wild country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment